Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth. This week, Josh, our lender, our resident mortgage expert, is not here, but I do have a special guest coming on this evening. His name is Mr. Dan Parker, also a YouTuber out there. Many of you guys might have run across him. If you haven't, um, you're definitely in luck. So we're going to bring Dan in here and welcome him to the show. Dan, thanks for being here, buddy. What is going on, Jeff? I was just admiring your your um, TikTok handle. I don't know what it is, but Mr. Jeb Smith just feels so right. Dude, somebody stole Jeb Smith. Therefore, I had to be Mr. <laughs> Jeb. I tried the real Jeb Smith. I tried like all of the like the little nuances that people do. Couldn't get it, so I became Mr. Well, and I never want to be referred to as Mr. Jeb Smith. By the way, just <laughs> just in case anybody out there is wondering. So Dan, uh, let's let's introduce you for a minute here. Um, so Dan, and I'm not sure even how we've met um, over the years, but Dan is a real estate professional, um, an expert down in uh, San Diego area, runs a successful team down there, um, also has a really good YouTube uh, channel geared more towards real uh, you know, San Diego real estate. And we often have people on here looking at San Diego real estate. So they'll probably check you out. But um, Dan, anything you want to say, buddy, to uh, to introduce yourself here? You're welcome to do it. No, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. You know, we both come on here. Our channels are definitely a little bit different. Yours is more geared towards, you know, nationally helping people uh, understand their finances and, and uh, uh, current market conditions and whether it makes sense to buy or not to buy. I really, really hone in on San Diego and Southern California so, um, yeah, well, that'll be good to be here, man. Yeah, no, no, we got, we got a lot of people often asking these questions. Hey, what's San Diego real estate doing? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't sell real estate in San Diego. <laughs> so you're going to be able to address it. But before we do that, we're going to talk some headlines, right? Uh, we'd like to start cool. off the show by talking about some things that have happened over the last week. We actually missed last week. I had some, uh, family issues happen back in North Carolina. I had to travel. So I canceled that. A lot of you guys had reached out and, uh, you know, passed on well wishes, prayers, all that good stuff. So I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you know, the condolences, all of that, uh, you know, it was a family member that took care of me as a kid and, um, you know, good people. But anyhow, uh, let's move along. So today we've got big news, if you will. CPI came out. Um, we're going to throw some some clips up here and put that up there. So U.S. inflation is slightly 8.5% in July. One of the things that I've talked about in other videos is that, you know, again, Interest rates being a key driver of what we've seen in the housing market for the last, the better part of two years, right? A lot of, uh, you know, the Fed um, artificially, you know, pumped up the market by bringing rates lower. I think that's fair to say, buying mortgage-backed securities, all of that. Well, what we saw earlier in the year, inflation numbers jumped, Fed started raising, getting aggressive on the Fed funds rate, volatility ensued, rates jumped substantially. We saw as high as six and a quarter percent in June. And I recently did a video a couple of weeks back and basically saying, hey, listen, I think we might be towards the peak of, of interest rates, uh, mortgage rates, unless we get a crazy number in August with the CPI because the Fed doesn't meet this month, right? So the Fed only meets eight times a year, 
September or August, they do not meet. And the last two meetings, we've gotten the CPI number and then the Fed's met shortly after and they've been able to calm the markets with the, the 75 point basis hikes and so on and so forth. This was the one month that was like, oh, crap, if we get a crazy number, we're screwed, right? I mean, the markets, the rates are going to jump through the roof. Well, we actually saw them come down a little bit. So, so inflation number came in a little bit less than inspected. And what we saw initially was we saw the 10-year treasury pull back. And then, you know, interest rates pulled back a little bit. But by the end of the day, we'd actually given it all back. And so one of the websites I read, Dan, I don't know if you follow them at all, but really smart people is uh, Mortgage News Daily. And Mortgage News Daily, not only do they have their own commentary, but they often uh, post other articles. And so what I thought would be helpful for anybody out there wondering, okay, inflation numbers came down, interest rates didn't really move, the market didn't really react. Why? Well, they went and posted this. And I thought, it, again, it's, and they, they even say it's an oversimplification. Uh, but I thought I would just read part of it to, to help those out there watching understand how the market reacts to this, this sort of thing. So basically said lower inflation allows for uh, more economic resilience and it's economic resilience that will do more than anything to prevent rates from falling very quickly. Lower inflation also decreases the Fed's urgency to hike rates. And while that sounds like a good thing, it has been the austerity associated with those rate hikes that cause many investors to ramp up bets on economic weakness. So, you know, the market's kind of in this situation where they kind of like the weakness in, in the economy, but they don't want the Fed overreacting. And so a lot of, you know, they, they kind of said before that the, the market uh, was already generally in agreement that inflation had topped off over the past two months. So the market mm -hmm. was kind of expecting this. Therefore, the market gave them what they wanted. No crazy moves in either direction. So um, thoughts on inflation and, and um, you know, I know this is a, a little bit different than, than what you normally talk about on your channel, Dan, but um, thoughts on inflation? No. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I lean on you a lot of times for this stuff because you're looking at a, a more of a macro level or uh, yeah, macro level than I am. Uh, but, you know, from what I understand and from what I've learned and gathered and heard from like Jerome Powell, they need to get inflation down to 2%. That's the number they're trying to get yep. to. So the fact that it's starting to, to mellow out, starting to come down a little bit is a good thing. And right. hopefully it's um, it's only going to make things better. And um, yeah, as far as the market moving forward, uh, hopefully things will mellow out because we're starting to see these numbers come down. No, agreed. And I think the market, you know, some other commentary I read that I didn't put in here um, was that now, you know, the Fed is now going to see, okay, what we're doing is actually starting to work. We exactly. can still kind of, you know, watch it. And and that's what the Fed said last time. We're going to kind of watch and see what the market's doing and react accordingly. So right now, my understanding is that the market's betting on a 50 uh, point basis hike. Um, still, the majority of people out there are looking for 50 basis points in September. So we've got another 30 plus days or so before that happens. But, you know, now the market is expecting that, right? So if the market comes out and 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 the Fed does what they say they're going to do, then then that's a good thing. Now if the Fed comes out and got super aggressive and did something else or said inflation is way worse, yeah, that then we've got a problem and, and rates are going to move. A um, couple more slides here of things that I wanted to touch on. This one uh, I can't read it on this thing, but basically mortgage applications have picked up over the last week, two weeks. Why? Because interest rates have pulled back. If you're watching the market at the moment, you know this. You you've probably seen it. Um, you know we saw interest rates move almost half a percent 
um, last week with with you know the um, the market reacting you know the way that it did. So that was a positive thing. Um, you could get rates. You know, some people got rates in the high fours. I think right now we're probably sitting just over five. So yeah, good thing people. Um, you don't. I mean, personally, I don't think we want. We may, it's kind of one of those uh, conundrums, if you will. You want rates to go down, but you don't want them to go down so much that it starts stimulating a crazy amount of buyer demand again and putting us back in the same scenario, right? We're seeing inventory levels pick up in many markets. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute with you, Dan, and your market. But, you yeah. know, what I've seen is I saw inventory pick up. I've seen it kind of moderate a little bit. So it's not at the pace that it was um, today here in Orange County, where, where I'm located, 4,000. 54 homes on the market two weeks ago, we're about the same. Um, yeah. So we're not really gaining any traction um, here in Huntington Beach. 261 as of today, it's about where we were two weeks ago, right? Um, but today we saw 12 or 13 new properties come on in Huntington Beach, and we're still sitting at the numbers we were two weeks ago. So there's still properties going into escrow. It's This is kind of normal, but a lot of schools are starting to go back in. The market's going to settle a little bit, and inventory is probably going to slow down here soon. Um, and you just don't want buyer demand, you know, picking up going into that time of year because it could, you know, put us back in a in a similar position, um, uh, you know, for next year. So, yeah, we're uh, seeing very similar things in San Diego. In fact, I think we're like just about the exact same inventory. We're just under five thousand homes for sale. Uh, the interesting thing about the last slide that you just had about um, how many mortgage applications there are is, and we we talk about this all the time on camera and off camera, is the, the data is usually delayed a lot of times. Right. Absolutely. So you and I, this is exactly what we were feeling two, three weeks ago yep. till now. And now it's nice. There's some data that comes out that says, like, um, validates our anecdotal experiences, our no, experiences it, with our clients. And I think that's important. Like, you know, when you're watching people on YouTube and, and any of these platforms, are they selling real estate? Do they have boots on the ground? It's yeah. not always necessary, but it just provides a little bit of context to some of these headlines. It's like, hey, listen, yeah, this is this is actually happening. You know, one of the things I talk about um, sometimes, Dan, is that, you know, you see the numbers from, say, uh, the California Association of Realtors, right? They put out their, their data and it'll say the days on the market is, you know, went up from 11 to 14. And I'm thinking, something's wrong because the average home's not selling in 14 days anymore. It's probably yeah. closer to 20, 30, 40 days in some of these markets. And so having somebody out there saying, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. The market's slowing. Things are still selling, but it's not nearly as quickly as, as some of these numbers sound, or maybe in, in, you know, adversely when, when things were hot, you can kind of say the other, uh, the other direction, right. And, and have that conversation, things to bounce off of. So yeah, that's all good. Elton. February, March, April, when it was like days on market, average days on market was like, you know, two weeks, three weeks. It's like, where, where, where are you seeing a home that's sitting on the market for two, three weeks? These yeah. homes are being sold in three days. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, and, and, and data is lag. It's lagging in, in many ways. So um, just, just know what you're getting into, know the context, read the actual article, the details, yeah. and not just the headlines. Um, last thing, Southern California rents, $2,400 in climbing. Yeah. Um, Rents are still expensive, guys. That you know, and and they're only going to get more expensive, um, just because of of the environment that you're in. You know, inflation is still a problem. Um, you know, it's not going to go away uh, immediately. It's going to take some time to to resolve itself, and and you know, you have to have a place to live, right? And so rents are 
you know, they're not going anywhere. They might not go up at the pace that they were, but they're they're definitely not going down. Um, and Southern California is a unique market just because people want to live here, um, you know, because of the climate and stuff year round. So all good stuff. All right. So or I guess the rent's not good, but, you know, if, <laughs> well, if you want to yeah. just add a little bit onto that. So we had just pulled out because you were on my channel last night. We pulled up an article about how San Diego rent, I think, it was the number four highest increasing rent in the country. Right. Uh, in the last 12 months. And so, and I'm, I'm trying to remember that as best I can. I think it was 24% increase from this time last year. And I'm looking at the homes for sale right now. The um, average increase in median home value over the last 12 months is somewhere between 11 and 14%. I say that because what I'm looking on splits it down between attached and detached properties. So you're looking at literally double the appreciation of rent values as you are the home market values. And that goes to show a lot of times you have like a six month lag from what the housing market is doing to what the rental market is doing. No, uh, agreed. And I think, I mean, you know, I, I, I put a property on the market for rent here in Huntington Beach last night. Um, and it's a property that an investor of mine bought four months ago, five months ago. And the time he bought the property, we were talking 42, 40, $300 a, yeah. a month in rent. We put it up at 4,800 um, yesterday. So that's a considerable increase from, you know, four months ago. Um, you know what, I don't know what's the, what's the math on that 10% almost, um, yeah. since, since he bought it. And, and I, I think we're probably going to get it based on the activity so far. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I'll continue to keep you guys updated, but you know, it just, Again, it's it's one of those things. And we even talked about it, uh, you know, last night is BlackRock just put together, you know, filed the paperwork with the SEC for a 50 billion with a B billion dollar fund to buy real estate. If the market slows down and or pulls back at all, they got money on the sidelines to start buying property. So it makes it competitive out there. So uh, but Dan and I here, we want to talk to you guys, want to answer some questions um that's what's so awesome about you know this group of people you guys support us you show up every week you ask questions um and you make this thing possible so if you do have a question put it in there um start with question before it helps us kind of pick them out um and see what we're doing here um unfortunately dan doesn't have access to the questions other than looking at youtube there so um he's not in the know so i'm gonna i'm gonna no i can right see him i can uh, see you can him. popping up on my end yeah oh, okay uh, there we go Good yeah. stuff. All right. So let's do this. Uh, Dan, please turn up your mic. It is a lot softer than Jeb. So I can turn mine down if we need to turn it down. I'm also like right up in the face of this thing, too. So, Hello. Uh, Jen, let, let us know on that on that front. You sound good to me, Dan. So uh, let's do this one. We got a question here from Sunshine Yogini. If I'm looking to buy, what's the difference between Zillow listings or MLS? Which is better? So if you were to get that question, Dan, how would you respond? Is there a difference between Zillow listings and what's on the MLS? So can you, is my voice a little better now or is it the same? I, you're good. I think <laughs> you're good. Yeah, you sound fine. So yeah, Zillow listings or MLS. Yeah. So basically here's how it works. Uh, you put a property, us agents will put a property and list it on the MLS and then that will syndicate to a whole bunch of other websites, including Zillow and Redfin. So unless it's a Zillow owned property, which I don't know that there's maybe there's some still out there that their their program of buying up homes and reselling them um was a huge failure which is interesting what what's going on with them in open door right now which uh, yeah very very interesting story but uh yeah what's better 
just know on Zillow, sometimes things can be a little bit delayed. Maybe, you know, something will get entered on the MLS. Maybe it'll take 10, 20, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours to actually hit Zillow. Sometimes there are problems where the, the syndication issues from one site to the next. Um, so sometimes it won't even pull up properties at all. <laughs> that's happened to me and that's a huge pain yep. in the butt. Um, and then there definitely are delays as far as a property being under escrow and accepted offer where it will still say that it's available on Zillow and sometimes it will be pending. So yeah, so no, good. Yeah. 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 And the only thing I would add to what Dan said is occasionally you'll get properties that are in the MLS that don't syndicate to Zillow because yeah. when Zillow became a brokerage a few years back, the, you essentially had to opt in to allow Zillow at that point to syndicate your listings, right? And some brokers out there saw Zillow as a threat and said, no, we're not going to allow you to show our listings because you're basically a competitor a competitor of ours. Um, and, and so some brokerages said, no, you can't do it. Now that only hurts the seller, um, it, yeah. because you know, the more exposure, the better and you know, what have you. But so occasionally you'll get a property that's in the MLS that's not on Zillow. So if you're talking to an agent, you know, and working with an agent, actually buying a property, have a, the agent actually set you up, uh, on a search too, just to make sure you're getting everything because the MLS is the best place for that information. Um, you know, because it, it's coming directly from the agents inputting it, but understand, like, like I tell all clients, the information's only as good as the person that input it. Yes. Um, so occasionally if you get too specific on your search criteria, you'll get properties that don't populate for one reason or another, because they weren't entered correctly to start with. So just have a little bit broader, um, you know, search criteria, but get it from the MLS, I think is, uh, is, is your best option. Jeb, can I give them the secret? Are you okay? Yeah. Uh, hopefully yeah. this doesn't get I don't even I don't even know down. the secret. Let's hear this. <laughs> hopefully this doesn't get taken down, you guys. No. So look, I just want you all to understand how this works because a lot of people out there don't. I know people that just got into real estate don't understand how this works a lot of times. Zillow and Redfin, they spend a tremendous amount of money uh, to have these wonderful websites that have a great interface so they're easy to use. And there are some benefits to them. Like I don't know of any other site besides Redfin where you can go on. And you can search based on um, school ratings. Now there are some issues with that, but it is it is kind of a it, it's an integration with uh, greatschools.org. Anyway, the thing to know about these sites, the reason they have all this money to spend on them, is because there's a little button that says "click here for more information." It looks like you're clicking and reaching out to the listing agent, but you are not. You're reaching out to a random agent here in Southern California that just spent three hundred dollars for your information. So just keep that in mind. There's there's nothing wrong with it. There are there are great agents and great teams out there that utilize this to, to get warm, hot leads. That's that's what they call them in the industry. Uh, just know on your end, if you have an agent, if you're talking to Jeb, if he's helping you out and you have a property that you're interested in, send that property over to Jeb so that he can get some information on the back end instead of giving all of your information to an agent that just spent hundreds of dollars for your email and your phone number. And you better believe they're going to be calling, texting, and emailing you trying to get your business for sure I, I got i've actually got some really good stories of having having a listing an agent calling me saying hey listen got a client wants to see your property can we see it sure coming this time whatever they show up it's it's an agent that works for one of these sites and they're meeting the client there that thinks they're meeting the client thinks they're meeting me there oh, because they push the button online they get there and they're introduced to this agent and the, the conversation is like who are you well, I'm the one you talk to online. Well, I wanted to talk to him talking about me. So it's like this mass confusion of who they actually think they're doing business with. Oftentimes yeah. you think you're talking to the listing agent and you're not. So 
just just dig a little bit deeper, people. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think Ben Ben Savage coming in with some stellar advice here. Uh, absolutely, there are not going to be a crash, like Dave Ramsey said. Certain markets will have a retracement, but this is the best. But the but this is the best time to buy is right now. So I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't agree with a lot of what Dave says, <laughs> not because it's not good information, just but I, I think he's a little more cautious um, than I. I am personally, um, I believe in a little bit more leverage. I believe in certain things um, that, and what his advice is sound advice, but I don't think it's realistic for a lot of people out there, um, especially in the market that we're in at the moment, but good advice, I think. Um, And, and, you know, sound, sound, sound advice, nonetheless. Uh, But here we go. So Dom's uh, question says here in Florida, there are more and more fraud listing for rentals than are occupied by owners. Have you all heard or seen this in your market? So Dan, um, it's funny. I was actually talking to a uh, fellow YouTuber today, Christina Smallhorn. Yeah, we were actually talking talking about this specifically. Um, And so, uh, yeah, have you heard of fraudulent uh, MLS listings uh, or rental listings, brother? So first of all, I just want to know, you just met Christina in person. How was she? She's great. She's awesome. Yeah, no, dude, super (laughs) charismatic, um, just a big, big personality, which, yeah, she's, she's really, really good. So really, really great person. Very giving person too. Very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge segue that no one cares about on here. That's okay. Um, (laughs) So yeah, as far as uh, there definitely are scams out there left and right. Um, I don't know. Do people still go to Craigslist? Is that where they're getting these scams? I'm not even sure where they're coming from, but. I do. I do. I, I believe the Craigslist is one. I think Facebook Marketplace is another. People are putting yeah, on in some of these um, with fraudulent information. And yeah, it, it's common. I would say that um, I just read an article, what, yesterday or maybe this morning. I don't remember exactly um, of one here locally. I believe it was locally uh, of someone that put a house out there. And it was something like, you know, send me the money via Zelle yes. and or mm-hmm. PayPal to to this or Venmo to this thing. Don't go to the house. Don't knock on the door. That's an immediate red flag people. Yes. Um, you know, when you're getting told not to do all of these things and, and again, they make up a good story. Hey, it's, it's mm-hmm. currently rent, you know, tenant occupied or what have you. Uh, but if you're doing that, just call an agent to verify that information. Right. I mean, it's like, if, if you called me to, to verify that a rental's active, um, or, or what have you, I will do a little bit of legwork just to make sure you don't get ripped off. I don't need to make money on the deal. I don't need to do that. I will do, um, you know, some due diligence to make sure you're in good hands. So, and I think most agents out there have, you know, the, the same bone, um, embodied that caring, uh, if you will, to, to make sure that people aren't getting ripped off. And so, you know, it, it, and a lot of times there's some common, you know, some similarities in, in how they approach these, but, you know, drive by, you know, this one was told not, not not to knock on the door. They knocked on the door anyway, and that's how they actually found out. It was an older couple, and they're like, no, my house isn't for rent. We've lived here for 50 years, and it was like, whoa, you know, and these people had no idea what was going on. So just go go the extra mile, and don't don't send any money to anyone. Like, you know, if, if you're not having a background check run or a credit report run, filling out a, a rental application, providing your documentation – um to somebody where they're you know verifying and all of that up front you know then you're probably it's probably a scam and even some some of those could be a scam too so 
you know, just dig a little deeper. Dig yeah, a little I've deep. even heard of scammers showing up to the property and saying, oh, it's tenant occupied, we can't go in, but at least showing face in front of the property and then getting money after that. So yeah, there's all sorts of stuff out there. Uh, I don't, I wish I knew more about rentals. I really don't, because there's not a, a system in San Diego for real estate agents to really on a high level help people find rentals unless they're looking for luxury, um, which is gonna be put, put in the MLS a lot more often. But the suggestion from a lot of my clients and a lot of people that I've talked to is that Zillow is kind of the way to go because they can pull the applications through Zillow. So it's like, it's not like you're giving that money directly to the person. It's gonna be going through the platform. And I think it's gonna be a lot more difficult to get scammed on, on somewhere like there. Agreed. Yeah, and that's, you know, again, just take the extra step, do a little bit more homework. And if it seems like it's too good to be true, that's yeah. really the red, that's really the red flag, right? I mean. It's not, it's usually, the scam usually isn't a property that should be renting for five grand is renting for five grand and there's a scam. It's a property that should be renting for five grand and they have it listed for two grand and you see it and like, oh, that's a really good deal. Emotionally involved, want the property, get really invested, willing to send your money to secure it and find out, oh shit, it's a scam, yeah. right? So that that's that's the caveat. All right, I digress. Um, let's <laughs> see here. It's an important topic, that's okay. It is an important topic. So Kim has a question here says, if you see a townhouse property listed for sale, but in the fine print, it says the land is lease. Can you explain what that means? So do you guys have any of those down there, Dan? Lease land? Uh, very occasionally. Yeah, there are okay. some properties that are like that. Mm -hmm. Got it. So we, we have a couple communities here in Huntington Beach. There's six or seven that I can name off the top of my head that says lease land. So when you buy a property, there's there's two ways to hold the land or hold that property. One is fee simple. Um, which means that you own the land underneath the property. Um, even in a condo, you essentially own your little sp your space, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, what when the other option is when it says leased? Leased means you don't own the land; you lease it every single month. Now, leases, depending on how they're set up, can be pros and they there could be cons. I am not a fan of them personally, uh, but that's a personal preference because of a lot of the way they're structured here locally, where most of them are set up on some sort of 20, 30, 40, 50 year term. Sometimes and even a hundred, like it's, I mean, it's a hundred years, right? And, and we have some of those here locally, but over time, you know, as time goes away, we have several here, you know, now that are pushing, you know, 15, 16 years on the lease. That's all that's left. And so for one, a lender will yes. only finance the term of your loan plus five years um, with regards to uh, a land lease. So if you've got a land lease that is um, uh, 15 years, right, if that's all that's left, the lender is only going to allow you to do a 10-year loan on that property because they want the term of the lease plus five years in order to be able to finance that. So you're screwed with regards to a you know, uh, a 30 year fixed mortgage. And the closer to expiration on that lease, the, the, the more time that passes, the less time on that lease, in theory, your property value is going to go down unless the, the leaseholder is willing to negotiate, unless there's some sort of buyout plan to take over that lease, which most of them that I'm familiar with don't have those options, right? It's very much in favor of the owner of the land versus the homeowners themselves. So, you know, the, the, the ones here locally, the, the lease documents are this thick. I mean, you have to have an attorney review them yeah. um, just to make sure your stuff. it's set up at the end. So just do your homework when you're looking at lease land. It's a lot like buying a manufactured or mobile home. Yes. You might yeah. you might own 
the, the, the home itself, but it's on land. Well, the difference in a modular mobile manufactured is in some cases you can pick it up and move it. Here, you're probably not picking up a house um, that's on lease land or a condo in that case it sits on lease land. It's a little bit different dynamic. You can't take it with you. So um, just understand what you're getting into there. Yeah, for some people, like I would say a small portion of the population, that could be a really good deal. If you're looking for a property, if you have cash to put down and you don't have to worry about, you know, getting out a loan, uh, you might be able to get a steal of a deal on one of these properties uh, when it's coming to the end of that lease land term. But no, for I a agree. very specific type of person that's looking for a very specific type of property. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I have clients occasionally reach out and say, hey, lease land. And I tell them all the specific pros and cons. And they're like, guess what? I'm 85 years old. Yeah, I'm going to be dead by the time that thing expires. <laughs> And I don't care what happens to it. And I'm like, all right, so be it. Yep. I mean, you know, you know the downside. You know what's involved. You want to le let your property just go to waste, not leave it to family. And they're like, I don't have any family. I don't care. <laughs> okay, fine. So again, it's it's a very specific uh, type of person that doesn't care about that sort of thing. But just know what you're getting into. All right. And usually, um, can I ask you this? Yeah, this sure. thought just came into my head. The land that's owned is it usually government owned? No, like experiences no, that no, no, no. A lot of government-owned stuff. What, what's here locally in Huntington is it's a family that owned the land. And each one of these scenarios is a little bit different. Sure. Um, but uh, the family owned the land, leased it to a builder. The builder built a condo complex or what have you, and then leased it to uh, uh, an association, if you will, or a management company or what have you to run it. Um, so it's it's actually owned by a leaseholder, but it's managed by someone else. Um, and there's a pass through with regards to rents and what have you. Um, there's also one here in Huntington Beach that's owned by a hedge fund. They bought it maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, shortly after the, the, the decline in the market, they went in and bought the entire community. Nobody knows what they're going to do with it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is it's very much most of these are condo complexes. They're not single family homes. Yes. And so the plot of land in which they're built isn't big enough to tear it down and build houses that would make the same amount of money. It would be just to keep uh, the, mm -hmm. those rental payments coming in. So they're very in a much better position to just keep it as it is and keep yes. it a, a lease land and just continue to bring in those monthly payments. Um, but, you know, the longer they extend it, you know, the the more willing people are to negotiate to, to get that extension. So. It's uh, there's obviously politics involved in that sort of thing yeah. as well. No, that was a good question. I like that. All right. Let's see. We don't have a lot of questions, man. We got a lot of people commenting. Um, let's see here. Oh, we got Ambrose, two of my favorite local real estate YouTubers. So Ambrose, appreciate you watching. We got you, man. Um, and even Charles, Charles, Charlton, Charlton says <laughs> you got this. So. Um, anyhow, trailer park, you mentioned, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, let's just go with some of these cause they're the questions that are easy to answer. Um, interest rates higher for second on vacation homes for all lenders. Yes. Yeah. Because, um, there's a secondary market that buys these, uh, types of loans, if you will, they're all going to be priced accordingly. Um, typically lenders across the board are all going to be pretty close on all their types of programs, right? They might be a little bit better here and there, but there's not going to be big discrepancies on any programs between lenders, right? So if you got an FHA loan, all lenders are going to be in a narrow range for an FHA. VA, same thing. Conventional, same thing. Jumbo, same thing. 
just varies here and there. And the same goes with investment and second home. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Um, one thing that I know, or it, it, at least from my understanding, so we bought an investment property, I think we closed in March, April, somewhere in there. And uh, the rules and regulations changed shortly thereafter. They did. They changed May 1st. Yep. Okay. May 1st. So, yeah. And you could probably explain it better than I would. Well, it basically just got significantly more expensive to buy a second home because of the way um, Fannie and Freddie were buying loans on the secondary market. They didn't want more than a certain percentage of the portfolio going towards, I believe, second homes is how it was structured. And therefore, they were basically increasing the fees on them to limit the number of, of loans they were bringing in is 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 my understanding of it. But um, so. And we use that to buy an investment property. So it was, it was the loan was a second home loan, uh, but the, you can there are ways to get a, a utilize that for an investment property. So uh, from my understanding, they bumped that up because a lot of people were buying Airbnbs and things of them. They they wanted to. Increase yeah, yeah. Rate. I don't know if that was the direct reason. Maybe that's mm -hmm. the excuse given. But uh, sure. it, it's, <laughs> yeah. But in, nevertheless, uh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, Benjamin says I'm under contract. Finally, I'm locked in at 4.99 30 year fixed rate. No points. Should I pay down points now or wait to refinance when it makes sense? So, you know, I'm, you know, Josh was here. He would say the same thing. The numbers never lie. Right. So what is it going to cost you to buy it down for one? Um, uh, how's, how long is it going to take you to recoup that cost? Right. So if it, if it costs you 1% to buy down and you're only saving, you know, uh, 50 bucks a month, how long is it going to take you to make that 50 bucks back? Um, over the course of the next couple of years. So I, I, I'm, I don't believe in buying down the rate um, in the environment that we're right now because I believe there's a chance for lower interest rates um, yeah. in the future. You know, six months, a year, year and a half out, I think rates could go back down, maybe not to the lows. I actually said this yesterday, but I think that they will retrace some, um, which gives you an opportunity to refinance at that time. So I, I'm not a believer in buying points, especially if you're comfortable with the payment now. So, because if you do buy down points and rates go lower and you decide to refine, it's, it's all, it's sunk cost. I mean, there it's, it's gone. Money's gone. Right. Um, so I would just, I would tell you to be patient and, uh, and hopefully wait for a pullback. And then maybe Agreed. you got even, you paid down your loan at that point as well. And there's an opportunity maybe, um, you know, there, um, you know, just based on having more equity in the property at that, at that time too. All right. And in fact, we also mentioned last night, just another option that's going the complete opposite direction. You might be able to find a really good program out there for a seven or 10 year ARM, adjustable rate mortgage. And no, get a absolutely. Really, really low rates for the next seven to 10 years. And obviously make sure, again, all the numbers make sense and that you're not going to put yourself in a situation where you can't afford a payment. But I, if I were buying a, a primary residence right now, I would bet on the fact that in the next seven years, rates are going to come back down uh, to where they're at or, or lower than where they're at today. No, in fact, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some property and, and, and calculating payments on what, you know, different mortgages would be, um, you know, cause again, I, me and my wife been looking at property and, right. and what have you, and I'm looking at an adjustable rate as well. Um, you know, seven, 10 years, just because for one, the rates quite a bit lower. Um, and again, like I mentioned, I believe there's an opportunity for rates to pull back. And so I'm comfortable with it. And, you know, so you just got to be comfortable and, and understand that there's an opportunity. If that doesn't happen, you might have an adjustable rate. So understand the the downsides, yes. understand, you know, the, the, the positives and, and the potential and know your risk and, and be willing to, to work with it. So, uh, that is the biggest thing is just 
you know, understanding what you're comfortable with and, and moving along with that. So uh, let's see here. GMP says, I feel that people don't understand that this is nothing like 2008. We are not having a housing crash, uh, but instead a healthy correction, which will be the normal baseline. I couldn't agree more, GP, GMP. So um, good stuff there. You have a really intelligent community here, Jeb. Uh, I like these people. <laughs> We've <laughs> trained them well, dude. We have we beat this into people every week. We just repeat it over and over again until they they start repeating it back. And once they repeat it back, then we have other guests on like you. And you're like, wow, these people really know their stuff. It's great. No. The comments I get are like, there's going to be a 50% reduction. Oh, dude, it, just give it give it time. It'll be, they'll come. They'll come. We're, we're only 38 minutes in, buddy. Uh, they're 38 minutes in. And, you know, that brings up something. So 38 minutes in. Um, Dan, we're going to let you introduce yourself here in just a minute. But before we do it, I'm uh, going to ask those of you watching to, you know, hit that, uh, you know, the like button, the thumbs up if you find any value at all tonight. Um, again, it helps us know that you guys, um, you know, like what we're doing and it helps the algorithms out there push out the content to more people. Um, so as you're hitting that, Dan, people that just jumped on have no idea who Dan is. So who is Dan Parker? Why is Dan Parker on the show here? So I love this transition. I thought you were going to go to a paid sponsor ad. I'm like, dang, is Jeb sponsored? Is no. Coca-Cola going to have a little. Dude, I've been trying. I've just been trying to get bang. That's all I want is bang just to come on and give me a drink once a week. That's it. All right. I'll you won't even call I'll, me. I'll see what I can do, Jeb. Thank you. Uh, um, so I, I'm a real estate agent here in San Diego. So Jeb and I live about an hour apart. And we keep talking about how we're going to go golfing one of these days. But uh, we need to figure out exactly where we're going to go so we can actually meet up and, and play some golf but yeah i i have a youtube channel about moving to san diego um uh i make videos about the local housing market down here and in southern california I make videos about relocating to san diego and make videos about things that are coming soon to san diego so very san diego heavy if you guys have interest in san diego um definitely hit me up or look at this little follow me yeah, on there. instagram right here there there you go um again just search dan parker living in san diego is yeah that what it is it'll yeah. pop up yeah it'll pop up good stuff good content on san diego um in general too so i uh, appreciate you uh being here again my friend so let's jump into some more comments here questions uh we got graciel so graciel um is asking can you briefly explain how supplemental tax works on new construction homes thank you so Let's explain what supplemental taxes are. So what happens here in, in, in the state of California, and this probably happens in other states as well, when you buy a property, the tax basis when you buy that property was based off when the previous owner purchased it, right? So if I bought a house uh, 20 years ago and said, let's just say hypothetically, I paid $500,000 for it, right? So my tax basis here in California is essentially based off that 500000 right? Because of how our taxes work. It moves a little bit. But it's really based off that five hundred thousand. Now, say you, Dan, come to buy my house now because I'm say I'm selling it, and now the house is worth one million dollars. Well, your taxes are going to be based off the one million, not what I paid for it. But that doesn't happen immediately, right? It takes some time for the county recorder to uh, reassess the property value because you changed it, whatever. So in the meantime, your property taxes are based off the previous tax basis, right? Which is lower than, than what you're going to be paying in many cases, right? Because right now, if, if you bought the property, you know, and, and somebody's owned it for more than a couple of years, you're going to pay more for it than they did. Um, so it, the supplemental taxes is once the, the county reassesses, you get a tax bill in the mail saying, hey, listen, 
taxes have been reassessed. This is the actual value. You owe us this additional amount. But here's the caveat. When you do a loan, the lender doing that loan is basing your, your taxes that you're going to pay off of the purchase price, the new price. And so if you're setting up an impound account, an escrow account, whatever, there should be enough money in there based off the new tax amount that when you get that supplemental bill, you should be able to call the the, the escrow company, the impound account that's holding that amount and say, hey, listen, I got this supplemental bill. You know, is there enough in there to pay it? Because there should be based on the way they they calculate it. Now, new construction is a little bit uh, is one of those things that I'm going to kind of say, I don't really know how supplemental taxes work um, unless the county is just has the previous value based off the land value in there. And then once you get reassessed, it, it brings in the home value because there was never a home that they were assessing before. I think that's probably how it works. Um, but Graciel, if I believe um, you use Tyler, uh, bought a house uh, up in NorCal, Tyler can definitely walk you through that. Um, and if you can't, you can reach back out to me and I'm happy to address it for you. But it's it's the difference in, in the original tax basis versus what it is now. So do you think maybe uh, referencing Melarus? Uh, potentially. Yeah. And there might be some Melarus in there as well. Um, you know, but Melarus is also one of those things that, you know, only happens typically with new construction or newer communities because of the infrastructure tax. Um, uh, but you know, the, the lender should be taking all of that into account when they're, yeah. they're assessing your property taxes to begin with. So, um, if your lender did their job, um, then, then all should be well, well and good. But oftentimes, um, you know, the, the impound account holding it doesn't receive the copy of the supplemental. Therefore, they don't need it needs to be paid, so on and so forth. So just need to dig a little bit deeper. All right. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Willing. You, you don't know. You don't have Willing coming on your channel, I don't imagine. Willing is one of our resident. Um, not sure what we're going to refer to it, Willing, as. Uh, commenter. We're going to use commenter. I love it. But good evening, Wolf. I'm Wolf. Um, Dan and Miss Lego. Sushi is so fresh and I'm and in good supply. Branch okay. manager flexed on me today. So Willing has become a loan officer. Um, Dan, you look like a Roman gladiator. What do you look for in a loan <laughs> officer when you send a client over there? The wow. I'm not sure what the wow is, but let's let's <laughs> let's address the second part of the question. When you're looking to send a client to someone, what are you looking for in that person? The so, person handling your client's business. So as far as who am I going to, what lender am I going to send my client to? Yeah, not, not a lender in general, but like a lender. If you're going to refer a lender, why are you referring that lender? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Absolutely. So, um, well, I can tell you this. A lot of things in real estate, you learn the hard way. In the hard way, you learn, uh, you know, when you work with a lender that is not good at their job. They don't risk, and a lot of it has to do with just responsiveness, yep. um, their promptness, uh, actually hitting the timelines that they said they can hit, um, you know, being aggressive with their timelines ahead, ahead of time, educating the clients. Um, and then obviously rates are, are going to be involved with that, but rates aren't everything. So the people that I suggest my clients work with have never missed a contingency period. They've never missed it. They, they always communicate when you respond. Um, and they help educate my clients. So those are the types of things I work, I look for. And part of it is just the smoothness of the transaction, which 
to be fair, like most people buying a house when they're looking and in, in interviewing lenders, that's not what's going through their head. They're like, I don't care what happens. I just need a good rate so I can close on this property. But you would not believe the amount of stress that can be involved with a poor lender. Um, you know, I've had a lender in the middle of the transaction say, oh, you know what? The closing costs are actually going to be $10,000 more than you thought that they were going to be because I miscalculated. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen all sorts of crazy things. So working with someone that's really trustworthy and is really good at communicating, um, my primary lender that I work with here in San Diego, we've done, I think, 10 transactions together so far this year, just the ones that we worked on together. A lot of my clients bring in their own lenders, and that's fine as well. Uh, but that's that's what I look for. No, good stuff. I think that's uh, that's what we want to. I mean, that's what I look for. I mean, I'm looking for somebody that's going to do what they say they're going to do, has a good track record, yeah. has expertise, can answer questions, and also is aggressive with rates and fees. And yep. you know, again, somebody that can perform. Um, and typically, that's that's Josh who's on here, right? That's who I'm referring most of the time. Um, you know, especially if you guys reach out, you've you've probably, you know, been. Uh, you know, I've, I've referred you to Josh, but um, if you need a referral to a lender, to a real estate expert anywhere in the country, I'll throw up a link here in a minute. You can go there. Happy to, to put you in touch with somebody that will guide you in the right direction and answer that question for you. Uh, but as we do that, I'm going to put you off here um, or I'm going to put you on the spot here and say, Ryan, question from L.A. When a seller asks bidders for a best and final counteroffer without knowing if you're the highest bid, what's your recommendation on how to handle increase it? If so, what's a proper percentage? So Dan, you get that question from somebody, uh, you know, an agent, whatever, what, how are you responding to your client? Well, you know, the, the answer that you're not going to want here is every situation is different. The first thing, like my job as an agent is to find out as much information as I can. And if I've already established a really good rapport with this, let's say I'm, I'm representing the buyer. And I establish a really good rapport with that listing agent. Hopefully, they're going to give me some insights on where, what the sellers are looking for. What number are they looking to hit? Are there, is there anything else specifically that could help put us over the top that's not going to just be a dollar amount? You know, I've right. won on multiple counters where there's a best and final where we stay at the same price because we gave them the confidence that they need in order to uh, close on that deal. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way that I would look at it. The other way I would look at it is you on the buyer's end, know what your max is. How, what's the most amount that you would, that you would be willing to pay for this house? And, uh, you know, if the property sells for $5 more or a hundred dollars more, a thousand dollars more, know what that limit is that you're going to be like, okay, I'm okay. Walking away at that point. Yeah. Because that's how it works. No, it is. And, and, and I think what's, you know, again, Dan touched on some good points and, um, you know, know your max, know what you're willing to do and not do have your line in the sand, if you will. And, be willing to walk to the line and sand. And if your offering doesn't get accepted, be willing to walk away and be okay walking away. Um, I ask clients all the time when we get a scenario like this and they tell me an amount, you know, my response oftentimes is, okay, so that's your max. You, you said that's your max. What if somebody, if the winning bid is $1,000 higher than you, are you okay with that? Or are you upset because you didn't offer $1,000 more? Well, I'd be upset because I didn't offer $1,000 more. Well, then that's not your max. So, and, and I'm never trying to push somebody to their max, yeah. but at the same time, you've got to understand that negotiation is, is difficult when you don't know what the other side is willing to do, right? And we've come out of a market where, quite frankly, people are willing to do things I didn't think people would do. 
Um, and so now as things are normalizing, I still kind of have a little bit of that stuck in my head. Like, Hey, listen, um, you know, I'm not sure I would, I would quite get that aggressive or I'm not sure what people are willing to do. Like I've lost out on two offers here recently where my client was actually willing to get more aggressive than I thought they should get. It didn't state it. I, I didn't say that. I just let them, I let people do their thing. And, and they still didn't get it, right? Multiple offer situation, people were able and willing to go higher than they were. So I thought, wow, like people out there still are aggressive in this market. So yeah. know, know your max, be willing to, to to walk that way. Use escalation clauses, like yes, give a strong offer, say, yeah. but use an escalation clause, right? You know, so if your offer is 450, again, making up numbers here, um, and you're willing to go to 475, maybe in your counter, you go up some, but just put an escalation clause, say, hey, look, I'm willing to go a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars above the the highest offer up to this price. Um, and and do it that way versus, you know, what what I don't like to see is somebody that comes in with a lowball offer and then gives me an escalation clause going higher. It's like, yeah, you're not you're just trying to game the system. Like you've got to be able to willing to play ball here a little bit in order to, you know, for us to even consider your offer, right? Don't be the lowest offer and give me an escalation clause higher than everybody else. Be in the ballpark and then do it. So use your agent as a as a resource, right? I mean, if you have somebody you know, like, and trust, trust is the mm -hmm. key here, um, they should be able to guide you in the right direction. Yeah, the escalation clause was one thing that I definitely wanted to mention. Also keep in mind that it's not always just about price. Like you nope. may put in an escalation clause and go a thousand dollars or a dollar or five thousand over the next highest offer when you would have won anyways because they liked all the other terms and conditions in the exactly. communication that you had going on. So, um, yeah, not a one Great size advice. fits all. Make sure that you're working with someone that you can that you can trust to guide you through this process that is closing deals in this market that is changing on a weekly basis right now. That is a key right there. Actually, somebody that actually sells real estate um, and doesn't just, yeah, somebody that just isn't out there um, talking about it and actually performing, right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of talking heads that actually haven't sold a piece of real estate ever. Um, and so just make sure you, you got somebody that knows what they're doing, knows the market and not using your mom from 40 years ago and hasn't sold a piece <laughs> of real estate in you know, the last decade. Like things yeah. aren't the same as they were um, 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So the market's changing and... Um, yeah. So, all right, we're moving along. Uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Oliver, can you explain what an FHA loan is? So guys, before I answer that, can you let me know in the comments, uh, audio is audio good? Is it suck? What's going on here? I feel like it keeps going in and out a little bit on my side. And, um, I don't know if it's me or the, the actual, uh, setup here. So Sunshine Anyhow, they can hear me fine. So that, that's that's one there. Let us know, people. Let us know. Yeah. How do we sound? Because yeah. we have these really nice, expensive, fun, cool mics here that should be working great. But if they aren't, we'll, we'll mess around with them. Audio is great. All right. There we go. Uh, perfect. All right. So uh, Laura says, oh, can you explain what an FHA loan? So an FHA loan is a government backed loan um, that, you know, it, it allows you to to purchase. Um, I'm going to be very general here. Uh, using uh, lower credit scores in many cases, uh, a lower down payment, higher debt to income ratios. That's kind of a, a one size fits all of what an FHA loan is. Um, but it's a loan backed by the government. Um, and because of that, there's a mortgage insurance involved um, upfront and monthly. Uh, and it, that's uh, protection um, in case you default on the loan. 
Uh, we could get a lot more granular on what FHA is, but if you, you know, I've got several videos that I've done on it. If you want to check my channel, guide you through the process on, on FHA. So, um, and if you have something more specific about FHA, you can put that in the comments and we'll try to get to it as well. Now, uh, uh, also yep. a follow up on that. So, okay, we, we understand at least somewhat what an FHA loan is. What are the main negatives of an FHA loan? Like coming um, from the buyer's perspective, coming from the seller's perspective when you're putting in an offer. Good stuff. Uh, actually, I have a video coming out Friday oh, on on, on that specifically. On that specifically. Uh, yeah. I, I, he's not a plant, guys. I promise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no idea. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the biggest risk in this market, I mean, let's talk about it real quick, right? Some of the downsides, mortgage insurance, unless you put 10% down. Um, is going to stay on it for the life of the loan. That's yeah. not a good thing. Um, Usually you, it's, you hit that 20%. Well, it's not going to automatically go away at that 20% threshold, but you can get it removed at that 20%. Exactly. So right. So you'd have to refinance loans. to get it, to get it off, um, to a different type of loan. So that is a downside. Uh, FHA has an upfront, um, funding fee, which basically if you put three and a half percent down and you pay the funding fee, you're eating up almost half of your equity that you had to start in that property right to begin with, right? Because that funding fee um, is something that you have to pay. Um, sellers in some cases look down on FHA loans in competitive markets for, you know, because of the minimal down payment, uh, that could be a downside. Another one here at the moment that I'm going to talk about in detail is, uh, you know, in the market that we're in right now, prices move sideways. Maybe they even pull back some, you're in an FHA loan. If you have a short-term time horizon, you could be in a position where you owe more on the property than it's worth, um, which which is a negative. Um, so, again, I, I'm going to kind of defer your question here a little bit just because I have a video coming out Friday where I <laughs> no, talk really, about that in detail. But, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, but Caesar, Caesar says, is it true you can't get a primary home loan on a house if the home you own at the moment, plan to rent it out, is more square foot than the one you plan on buying? So, um Dan, I mean, I know, I I know the answer to the question, but you, you no, know. it's I appreciate you asking me. I'm gonna go ahead and say I have no idea. Uh, here's here's the thing, Jeb was a lender in his previous life, and yeah. so he knows a lot of this stuff. When people ask me these really really specific questions on the lending side, I refer them out to the specialists on the lending side. So I really I have no idea. I've never even heard this. No, no. So, so here's the deal. It, it's got to make sense to an underwriter, right? So for example, if you own, uh, you know, a, a luxury property, let's just, I'm just giving a really like clear example of, of how this works, right? Is, is your scenario might be a little bit different. Let's say I own a million dollar property, right? Um, and you know, I'm looking to buy a $300,000 condo, uh, you know, four blocks from my house. The lender's going to look at that and go, how does this make any sense? Like this guy lives in a million dollars. He's just going to move to a condo and rent out his house. Like the lender's going to say, no, that's probably an investment property that he's buying or a second home or something for a kid or, or whatever. It, they'll probably add, they might ask for a letter of explanation explaining the scenario. And if it makes sense, they'll do it now. So there's no hard, fast rule that says it can't be less square foot. Um, but it, it, the deal's got to make sense to an investor. So say, for example, you own a 2,000 square foot home and you want to go buy a 1,500 square foot home. Well, why are you buying the 1,500 square foot home that's smaller? Well, maybe it's closer to the beach. Maybe it's closer to your job. Maybe it's closer to your kid's school and you want to move the kids. So that uh, underwriter reads it, understands it. Okay, that makes sense why they're doing this. Or maybe they're boomers, uh, or I'm sorry, not boomers. Maybe they're downsizing. 
kids just went off to college. They no longer need the big house. They wanted something, you know, that smaller kind of fits their needs now versus what they had, but they don't want to sell that property. They want to save it, keep it in the family. It's got to be explained. It's got to make sense. So they could also uh, be boomers. They could be boomers too, but if the kid, <laughs> but they probably didn't have the kids still living at home for, but maybe they did, you know, maybe the kids yeah. in the basement never left. Uh, he's there forever. Uh, but anyway, so it's just gotta, again, so that that's not a, a, an absolute, uh, but it's gotta make sense. Um, so run it by a lender and, and they should be able to kind of run it by an underwriter and, and the underwriter will tell you whether or not it can be done. Uh, uh, Doff, Doff, Daff, Daff. We're going to go with Daff, like Daphne, Daff. mm-hmm. Daphne. Uh, got my LE today. Um, any chance I can get one of you guys to look at it to see if the charges are making sense. So if you send it to Josh, um, he'll look at it for you. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd push you off the Josh. Uh, to do that, I will throw his uh, information up here in just a minute, so you can do that, um, and that way you can get some some certainty in what you're looking at. But he's out this week. He's playing. He's playing golf. He's doing a member guest up in like uh, in the Washington area. So he's he's doing like five days of golf. This guy. So I, I don't. I have no. You know, I don't feel bad for him at all. Zero. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's see, Jeff. What? Would that supplemental tax scenario be applicable on a VA assumption for the new owners? It's a really good question, uh, Jeff. I don't know the answer to that. Um, when you're VA assuming, assumption. yeah, it's like you're assuming specific. a mortgage. So yeah, so yeah. VA allows you to assume somebody's mm-hmm. current mortgage. Um, if if the property value go, is higher than it was when you purchased it, what happens is when there's a change of title, with the county recorder's office, that's what triggers the 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 um, the supplemental taxes. Is that that change in ownership, the right? The reassessment, right? So my guess is yes, it would still apply because you're the new owner of that property. The county is going to record you as the owner on that property when you assume that mortgage. Therefore, it's going to trigger that potential reassessment. But that's not a hundred percent. Like I'm not 100% confident in that answer. I'm like 95%. Um, so just talk to a lender and they should be able to answer that question for you. I think the question would be whether the lender actually has the impound account for that extra, the extra funds or whether you actually just have to pay that. I imagine they probably would. Yeah, that, that is a whole different scenario there, um, yeah. you know, because VA requires impound. So sure. yeah, it, again, run it by a lender. Um and if not, you could show up here next week and Josh can probably answer it for you if you don't want to call somebody prior to that. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to get you some questions here, man. Man. Uh, or you're so organized by having your people say question first. Well, it doesn't always like work, it. clearly. Um, I actually st- that was a Christina steal. Um, I thought it was good. And, <laughs> and, her, and she's actually trained them to do it. Um, my, my audience is fighting back. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> so, so Romeo says, uh, Jeb, how you doing? Bought my house in May in the Inland Empire for what I would say a premium price. A house down the street similar to mine has been in the market now for 60 days. Should I worry? So Dan, your client buys a house 60 days later, home prices go down. Should your client worry? What do you, yes. what's your response to that? Yes. Worry. Next question. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, wow. No, we're going. No. That was the answer. No, Jeb knows the answer to this. We, you know, we, we just read each other's minds. Look, 
for one, there's a lot of information you're leaving out on this. What does that other home look like? Is it as upgraded? Is it the model match? Does it have the same view? Is it on the, uh, I guess it's on a similar street? Yeah. yeah, is it facing a freeway? Um, you know, there's so many variables. Like, how is it overpriced? Is it underpriced? Um, the market's really interesting right now. It has been for the last 60 days. Has been really like, man, that would have been a rough time to list your house. Like, you literally just missed like the craziness. It just started to kind of peter out. So what happened is 60 days, 60 days ago, a lot of properties, they, they just assume, or a lot of sellers assume the market was going to continue doing this. I mean, it was like almost vertical what was happening. And uh, around 60 days ago, it just started to, to flatline, started to, 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 started to mellow up. So they're utilizing old data, old comparable properties that just recently sold. Um, they're assuming, you know, it, it's going to keep going up like that. And, uh, and they probably priced it incorrectly. They probably overpriced it. And then they're in the situation where they overpriced it. And then they start slowly decreasing the price. I'm just assuming here because you haven't entered in all of this data. Um, maybe it took them one week. Maybe it took them two weeks. Maybe it took them three weeks to finally decrease the price. And they probably didn't do it enough at that point. So then you have this, this point where you're trying to chase the market that's like slowly coming down, but you're just above it. And it's going to make it a lot more difficult to sell. Really, all that stuff, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. Um, I would say, I guess it depends, A, where your home is located because every market's going to be a little bit different. My personal opinion is I'm very, very bullish on the market. I, I know that over time, five, seven, ten years from now, the market's going to continue to go up. So if you're looking to sell your home in two months to flip it and sell your home, yeah, maybe you could be a little bit worried right now because there's so much volatility. It's really hard to know exactly what's going to happen. But as long as they're going to be in that house for a longer period of time, don't worry about it. Don't stress. Um, you're making a long-term investment. It's just like stocks. They go up, they go down, and you just have to get used to that. No, I agreed. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, if you're buying for the right reasons, the va the house of the value, the, the, the house down the street shouldn't really matter. Yeah. Um, you know, just be comfortable with the payment. That's why we talk about all the time, being comfortable with the payment, having a little bit of money in reserves, rainy day fund, if you will. And, mm -hmm. and you set yourself up for, you know, long-term success, right? I mean, you know, Dan's channel, we did a video last night and, you know, one of the charts he brought up was a chart of, of home prices in San Diego County. And from 2008, uh, which was basically the, the, the peak, if you will, in prices to, you know, the trough and back to where the price was the same again, was about eight years, seven years mm -hmm. or something. Um, so if you have that longer term time horizon, that's why we often preach that you know, worst crowds, housing crash ever in history. And the market came back in seven years. So, you know, that's, that's where you're at. Um, I wouldn't and, stress the house down the street. Don't worry just about re it. Remember like the, the 2008 housing market crash, the recession that happened was caused by the housing market crash, not the yep. other way around. You don't just have recession. It's not every recession is going to cause home prices to come down. That was a recession that was caused by the housing market collapse, by all these crazy um, factors that were going into the housing market that, you know, majority of them are not happening today. So, yes, are, can home prices come down? Yeah, of course they could come down. They could come down tomorrow. They could come down next month. But it's a long-term play. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so if you are reading a comment or you're talking and I just start laughing, it's because I'm reading some of these comments. Like, you know, some of them are, <laughs> some of them are laugh out loud and um, I get a kick out of it. So uh good stuff uh ambrose here says as a first-time home buyer with limited cash on hand is there any reason why you shouldn't do an fha loan I, I i am i'm a proponent of using fha i think there's nothing wrong with fha as long as you understand all the nuances you understand you under you're comfortable with the monthly payment 
nothing wrong with it. Um, know the pros and cons. Like I said, uh, you know, again, video coming out Friday where I will talk about this in more detail, the risk of, of FHA um, in, in, in the environment that we're in now, just again, it, ha- you know, don't use every dollar you have to buy a house. And I don't care if it's FHA or any house for that matter. You just, you need a little bit of wiggle room there just in case something happens. And just know when it would make sense to refinance from that. Like know that the 20% rule, um, understand the things that you could do down the line to be able to uh, lower your monthly payment. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, let's see here what we got. Uh, Ryan says, my family and I are looking to move up to, to move up in house. Uh, okay. We can move December 31st or wait until 2024 because I am purchasing the business wait or buy now. So you're purchasing a business. Um, you know, here's the thing, 2024, it's hard to say what the market's going to do. Um, you know, Case Schiller, uh, Fannie Mae, um, who else out there? Like basically all the major core logic, all of these guys are basically saying that there's an opportunity for home price appreciation to continue, right? Not at the rate that we've seen, but, you know, somewhere between like three and 5%. So if they're accurate, that means home prices in a year, two years are going to be higher than they are now. So if that's the case, are you willing to take the risk and and you know and and wait and buy at a higher price, or are you comfortable buying now? I, I just, for me, it's about the right time in your life, right? You're buying a business um, that could obviously be stressful. There's there's things that go along with that that may make it a tough decision to make. And if that's the case, then maybe you wait. Uh, but understand that with waiting, maybe there's a higher cost. Maybe there's not. It's hard to say. Um, but I'm more of like, hey, listen. I'm buying now because this is what I need in a house um, and this is where I want to be and where I want to put my family and all of that versus trying to pick the date based on a certain time frame and what I think the market's going to do. So um, it's really not about picking a top or a bottom in the market. It's finding the right house that suits you and your family, being comfortable with the payment and pulling the trigger when it's the right time. Um, and the right time is going to change. It, the right time for me is going to be different than it is for you. It's going to be different than it is for Dan. Um, and and so you've got to be able to navigate that. And um, I don't think there's a YouTuber out there that can that can give you a definite on that one. Um, yeah. You know, so is, is there a chance homes pull back? Sure. Sure there are. I don't think by waiting you get, you know, a home um, for significantly less. Uh, I will say that. So if that's your reasoning, then I see you buy now. But it really comes down to payment and if you're comfortable. And what I would probably do if I were in your shoes, if I'm understanding your, your question correctly, is you basically have an extended period of time where you could potentially buy a house. I would start looking. And yeah. when the right opportunity comes along or maybe submit, like start out submitting offers that are a little bit lower than you normally would have or your agent would typically recommend for someone that wants a house tomorrow and try and get a deal. And if you can't, then you slowly start ratcheting that up and become more realistic with what the market is. But now's the time where you might actually get an opportunity if you're willing to be patient. I uh, read some of these comments. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Uh, an hour in. Um, I don't know if Dan knows this, but you know, typically last year we did 96 hours of live. Wow. 48 uh, episodes. So we missed, what, four weeks um, all of last year. Um, this year we're pretty much on pace. I think we missed like two weeks total, maybe, well maybe done. three. I bet I think it's two. So uh, if you appreciate us being here, you appreciate the content, you like Dan, you think he's got nice hair. 
Um, you like his background, the San Diego, hit the thumbs up, right? Yeah, he wants to see it, right? Guest, we need more than when Josh is here. When Josh is here, he <laughs> thinks it's all about him. It's really not about him, right? Sorry, so if you show show us that it's not about Josh by hitting the thumbs up, we can show it to Josh and show him, hey, dude, you're really just another guy. Like, you're yeah, nobody. He's fired immediately. Yeah, so. we, we will fire him on air. <laughs> just cut him off. Uh, but anyhow, uh, that is that. I'm going to move along. Um, and if you need a referral to a real estate agent, to a mortgage professional, there's a link below. One thing I didn't mention at the beginning of the video, uh, there's actually a podcast, guys. The Educated Home Buyer Podcast. It looks something like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? That thing in the corner. If you search, you find that. Uh, Josh and I do a weekly podcast. This week is the first week we've missed since February uh, because it's Travel schedules didn't coordinate, uh, but we do a 30 minute ish deep dive into a topic, you know, on the housing, a lot of loan stuff on there, a lot of real estate on there, but it is very much a deep dive into one topic versus a lot of topics, a lot of questions on here. Um, in addition to that, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but every Friday we take this content from Wednesday and actually put it on the podcast. So if you want to listen to this in audio form while you're you know, washing the dishes, washing your car, you're out for a run and want some motivation and want to hear Dan and I talk. Yes. You can do that every Friday um, by cool. taking, you know, by, by listening. So go subscribe if you haven't already. All right. That was a lot that I just threw in there. Dan, I think people, you're pro, man. They want something more. They want questions answered. I think that's why they're here. <laughs> uh, graphics here, you got here. We're gonna we're gonna give you this, Dan. We're gonna get rid of that garbage yeah. there, um, and we're gonna say, uh, "What do you think of green kitchen cabinets, or just not your typical color cabinets? Any experience where your buyers or seller chose not to buy, uh, to buy or not to buy because of cabinet color? So, when you walk into a house, what do you talk to a client about that sort of thing? Visual, uh, cosmetic stuff." Sure. So, you know, what I'm visualizing in my head is a super outdated kitchen from like the 70s and 80s with like this, this really like soft, I'm really bad with colors, but like this really soft, like green, you know yep. what I'm talking about? I'm sure yep. you've seen that. I, I definitely like, do. <laughs> I definitely so do. It's hard for me to imagine a home that just has these old cabinets and everything else is nice and upgraded. Uh, I guess the thing that the things to consider here, a, if it's just the color of the cabinets, if they're newer, nicer cabinets, and it's a weird color, it's not too difficult to get that changed. And depending on exactly what the buyer wants, like let's say my buyers, they really like this house. We're looking at it. They just don't like the color of the cabinets. I would probably suggest, all right, well, if you need cash to on hand in order to paint those cabinets, we'll ask for a $5,000 closing cost credit from the sellers. We'll try and get that out of them so that you can paint them and not have to pay anything out of pocket at the end of the day. So there, there's, there's kind of that approach. The other thing that I'm thinking of is like, you know, Jeff saying just something more cosmetic. Um, a lot of times when, especially when the market starts to heat up is the homes that sell the fastest and are the most competitive and have the most offers and the most bidding wars are the ones that are like, you walk in and it's like a model home. You know, these homes yeah. that are flipped, uh, brand new tile work, brand new kitchen. They open up the walls, uh, new, um, dual pane windows everywhere and nothing needs to be done in the home. Those are the ones that the prices are just going to shoot up. It's they're going to be the and, hardest to get. And still today, th those are the yes. ones in my market that are still getting top dollar. The best properties I think that you can find are the ones that have old carpet 
And yeah. But that's it. Everything else is fine. Like, you know how easy it is to change out carpet? You know how easy it is to put in luxury vinyl planks? And it's and then you get to choose a color? Like, it's so painless. And it's such a good deal that that's, those are the types of things that you should be looking for. No, agreed. And, and like, I, I mean, kitchen cabinets, you know, if you're remodeling a kitchen and you're going to change cabinets, that's an expensive deal. But if you just yeah. need, if the cabinets, the, the boxes are good, they're solid wood, um, maybe outdated, different color, whatever, and you can paint them. And put some paint knobs cheap. on them probably. Yeah, paint's cheap. I mean, mm-hmm. or lacquer spray them or what have you inexpensive fix uh, until you get to a position where you can actually do the kitchen if you want to do it. So um, I try to get people to visualize not, ha- you know, like I tell people all the time, the two easiest things to change in a property are the paint colors and the flooring. You know, it, it's exactly. not expensive to do in most cases, and it, it can be done relatively quickly um, yes. versus, you know, remodeling an entire kitchen, remodeling bathrooms. That stuff gets a little bit more expensive. Um, but if we're doing a property, putting a property on the market, you know, and, and, and there's an opportunity to paint, um, certain things we, we probably do it to help it stand out. Um, but like I mentioned a moment ago, you know, it, I've talked about this recently, the properties in my market that are sitting a little bit longer are well, outside of the ones that are overpriced, um, are the ones that are inferior properties to start with, right? The, so the, the properties that are nicely redone, newer, you know, all the upgrades Dan mentioned, those properties are still getting a premium selling quickly. Mm -hmm. The ones that aren't are the ones that need some work. The ones that, you know, inferior locations, the ones that should have never been selling at a premium over the last two years. Those are the ones that you look to get the deals on, um, in this environment. So also Lawrence, thanks. I think you're cool too. (laughs) uh ambrose what area is equivalent to the peninsula in san diego um so the peninsula here um i guess we're talking about um newport beach i'm not sure what oh are we talking about huntington beach what area is equivalent to the peninsula peninsula i mean there's a there's the peninsula in huntington beach maybe uh verify for me the ambrose um because We've got, you know, Dan that's not familiar with Huntington Beach and me not familiar with San Diego. This is going to be a hell of a combination to come up with uh, an answer. But we'll I try. mean, if I were to guess before you said anything, I would have said Huntington Beach. So uh, we'll, we'll go with that unless he unless he clarifies. But yeah. as far as like Huntington Beach, San Diego, I don't. It's just different. I, I guess Newport you, Beach you know, Peninsula. Okay, Newport so Newport Beach. Beach Peninsula. So Newport Beach Peninsula would be, I think, more like, uh, if I had to guess, more like uh, Mission Beach area, um, Pacific Beach area, um, where there's expensive real estate on the sand, but it's very much a kind of a local, you know, I mean, still have the dive bar, still have all, all of right. that going on there. Yep. Um North PV, North Pacific Beach, up into Bird Rock. That's what I would say. Somewhere. Okay, is that like super expensive real estate as well? And then you have some of the... Absolutely gets pricey. It's over by the water. It's a little bit more laid back and a little bit less touristy, but you still have all the benefits of having all all that stuff close by. Cool areas. Yeah, well, this is definitely touristy. um, But nevertheless, sounds like, you know, you know, but there there's also good surf too. So in, in, in on on the peninsula, so um yeah call call dan have a conversation with him he can he can guide you uh let's see here uh, yeah or la jolla i mean just that's the other place i think of um 
I don't know. I'm looking for some questions here, Dan. I got a lot of comments. You guys, uh, start your comments with the word question. It's going to help Jeb out tremendously. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to have you come in each week to do that. There you go. Uh, let's see. Emilio, I want a house on the water between Balboa and Newport Pier. How much am I looking? Shit, I don't know. I, a lot. Um, not really my market um, down in Newport in that area, but in the in the multi multi millions. Um, call me and we could talk about it. How's that? That'll be you better. You will go to that area for. Oh, it's it's ten minutes from me. It's just you know I just you know. I don't have most of my clients aren't looking for houses on the water in uh, in Newport Beach because of you know the 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 ten million dollar price tag that goes along with them. Yeah. Um, let's see here, Lego. You know, I mean, I mean, willing coming in again. So Lego. So Jennifer Lego is our moderator. Um, so I don't know if you know Jennifer Dan, but Jennifer is uh, you know started out here as someone just in the chat showed up every week was always commenting basically said listen if you're going to be here you know do you want to moderate she said yes. Cool. Took full responsibility and and she kicks butt here in the in the chat often and kicks people out and it's all that good stuff. <laughs> she but she bought a house last year, um, so congratulations to her. She actually used the information and and did something with it. But with that, she stayed. She didn't even leave, so she's still here <laughs> moderating the chat. So when you people you see people refer to Jennifer, um, that's who or Lego, that's who they're talking about. But willing. Again, you know, we just like to read these comments. Like, why are you letting this comment stay in here? I understand if you have to delete this one. Dan the Gladiator <laughs> has such a kind-looking face. I want to smack it and see if he wipes away that wonderful smile. <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a compliment or if he's, you know, I feel like it's hey, a You think it's, a, it's it. a him, but we think it's a, it might be a she. That, yeah. They logged right. in one time as someone else, and we saw a different profile picture. So we're we're unsure of who we're talking about here. I just see Will at the first part of that, so I assume. Yeah, but that's not. Uh, I don't think you can't assume these days. No, you can't. We need we need the pronouns after their name. Yeah, to yeah, know what, to know who we're talking about here. Change so we can see your pronouns, please. Uh. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, Lego, do better. All right, so George just came in with he's given us a super chat or two bucks. Uh, nice. It says, "What do you think will happen with the San Diego market?" So, Dan, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer this question to you um, and uh, see what you have to say here, my friend. I'm curious too. Uh, what's what gonna happen to San Diego? To Is it gonna break off into the market. ocean and be an island? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, or all right, here's the thing. In San Diego, I'm sure Orange County has a lot of similarities. We're obviously very close. We have very similar markets. We have very similar sized markets for sure. Um, in San Diego, there's just not enough new construction. This last year was like the most, um, in 2021 was the most new construction we've seen in San Diego County in a long time. We just barely hit 10,000 units. Uh, for the past, I don't remember how many years before that, uh, it was like in the 8,000 to 9,000 range. Nowhere near where we need to be as far as the amount of people that live here and the amount of people that are moving here every single year. On top of that, we have Apple just announced they're, they're building a $460 think million um, uh, building in San Diego. Um, a lot of the tech companies are here. We have biotech. We have um, you know defense. The Navy's the number one employer in the city of San Diego. We have, there's a lot going on in San Diego, a lot of high-paying jobs and more and more high-paying jobs coming here every single year. And uh, myself, and I know Jeb as well, 
we're getting a lot of people on top of that that are working remote that are coming from Silicon Valley. They're coming from Washington, D.C. They're coming from um, these other like very expensive metros that are relocating to San Diego. So I really, really, truly believe. And of course, I'm biased. I mean, look at this. Look at this right here. I'm biased. But I really, truly believe uh, if other markets around the country start to drop in prices, San Diego has a, a huge opportunity to remain higher prices. Um, so, you know, historically, we just we haven't had that, like the really high paying job sectors that other places have in abundance. And that's changing a lot right now. So when I'm looking in the long term in San Diego, I'm very bullish. Um, if I'm going to give you like let's just say the next 12 months, what's going to happen? Because that's the, the farthest out that I feel comfortable like really giving an estimate on. Who the heck knows what's going to happen two years from now, three years from now, five years from now. But over the next 12 months, if I'm going to guess, I think we're going to be pretty much exactly where we are right now, plus or minus 10%. I mean, nobody knows, but I, I, I think I'm pretty confident, I can say pretty confidently, that um, I, I think we started to see prices come down a little bit. We're going to start to see them come up a little bit. And depending on interest rates, what happens with interest rates, we're probably in about 12 months end up around the same prices that we have right now. And then over the long term, it's going to continue to rise. I like it. Um, I, I, I agree. I think the plus or minus 10% is less than that personally. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously, some are, like Sandy, people don't understand how big San Diego is, right? So you have so many sub markets in that market, right? So yeah. if you're in PB or you're in La Jolla, you know, the market's going to react different in those markets than it is in Chula Vista. Um, or it's going to, you know, in um, Carlsbad, right? I mean, it's it's all just these are all little sub markets of each other. The closer you get to the coast, the more expensive the real estate's going to be. Um, the further you get inland into, you know, um, Borrego Springs. Uh, I don't even know if that's San Diego County, but I think it is. Uh, the, the less expensive real estate is going to be. It's just it's how it works, um, and it fluctuates. And if you want to, if you want to be where things are at, you're going to pay for it. Uh, and yeah. San Diego is is what I think considered the best climate in the world. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there's only one other uh, country in the world that, or yeah, country in the world that has a similar climate, and it's Chile um chile uh and it's it's just as far south of the equator as as san diego is north of the equator it has a similar um feel and and whatever so um yeah that's not going to change and people are going to want to be there and and the job growth and and that only provides more stabilization for the market as a whole right keeps yep. people there needing to be there for work and um it's a lot like orange county it's it's not going anywhere so that's good stuff all right um george super chat from from same from George again, George, right. George, is that you? Let it ride. Are you trying to buy us out? <laughs> it works, George. <laughs> you, you, it worked. I want to buy in Mount Helix. Seems like a nice area, not overpriced. Thank you guys. I have no idea what's Mount. Is that where's is that San Diego? I assume. Yeah, it's like La Mesa. So okay, it's going to be a little bit east. It's a really cool little like sub market in San Diego. And I know La Mesa. I, I actually those... know where it is. So that in. Like if you wanted to go out and you live in Mount Helix, you would probably go down downtown La Mesa. Like that's where you would go. But it's it's such a cool submarket. I think like Jeb was saying, how San Diego is a big place, three point three five million people. Um, that is one of the areas that I think even if other parts start to drop a little bit, it's going to stay strong there because uh, people go live in Mount Helix and they just they never want to leave. Like the people I know that were raised in that area and can afford buying a house over there, they buy homes over there. 
but you yeah. get these really unique properties. There's a lot of properties like on septic. So you have to understand the challenges and complications with that. Uh, but as long as, I mean, it's totally doable. You just have to understand everything that you're getting into, but yeah, really cool area. No, good stuff. Yeah. It's funny. Like, uh, so I moved, I don't know if you know this, Dan, but I I'm from North Carolina, uh, graduated college, moved to, uh, to California, uh, directly like two days after graduating. And, uh, People around me, you know, in, in college knew that I was coming out here and that like we had, you know, a group of people started talking, whatever. And so one day I was in the gym and guy says, I'm moving to California, too. I was like, want to go together? And so um, didn't really know him. And and both <laughs> we both drove across uh, the country behind each other. This is before uh, cell phones were a thing, uh, but definitely not like they are now. Right. It was so just it like was, your pager. No, so we had we had walkie talkies, so we would walkie talkie each other, you know, driving in the car. Uh, But nevertheless, his dad lived in La Mesa, and so we came to California. We lived in La Mesa for you know a couple weeks before we found out where we were going to live, and here we are. Anyhow, I I I was a short stint. I ended up in in Orange County shortly after, but nevertheless. Uh, Anyway, so if you know somebody that has a similar story, it's probably him. (laughs) What's his name? I don't say his name here. I'm drawing a blank. I completely am drawing a blank right now. I do know it and I can't think of it. Jeb's first and best friend in California, and he doesn't even remember his name. I'll figure it out. It'll come to me here in a minute. (laughs) I, I, I'll, I, I, yeah, I will definitely say it, but I I don't remember it. Um, Al Bundy says, uh, what is approximately the cost for new flooring and interior paint for a 2000 square foot house given middle grade material? So, a little bit difficult to answer in some ways because of is it two story? Is it one story? Are you doing flooring up the stairs, both levels or the vaulted what ceiling? Material? So, yeah, like, uh, you know, it, the the stairs uh, for things like hardwood, things like LVP adds a huge cost um, because of all the cuts it requires in order to do those stairs. Um, so when you do new flooring, that's when I think new flooring these days, I'm thinking hardwood or some sort of LVP, um, the luxury vinyl planks, because that's what's popular out there. So going upstairs adds cost significantly. Um, if it's a single level, you know, 2000 square foot house, I mean, you're probably looking at, you know, with materials depends on who installs it, but I would say, you know, 10 to 15,000 ish is probably a reasonable number. Um, unless like, for example, I just had a property here in, uh, Huntington, the rental that I mentioned earlier, we were initially has Spanish tile all throughout it. And we were going to demo that Spanish tile because the entire house is Spanish tile we were going to do, but to demo that Spanish tile was going to be like a super expensive job. Um, and therefore we said, you know what, it's a rental. We're not doing all of that. So that's how all of these things change. And it's very difficult to, to, to give a cost without knowing, um, paint on a 2000 square foot house. I would say it's probably four to five grand, um, you know, to paint the ceilings, the walls, baseboards, mm-hmm. doors, that sort of thing would be my guess. Um, yeah. Somewhere in, somewhere in that ballpark, unless it needs everything. Now, and if you start talking about it, you know, exterior and all of that, that's a whole different animal. Uh, but I would say four to five grand is probably reasonable on on the paint. Yeah. Unless you got super high ceilings and a lot going on. So somewhere between 15 to 20, you could probably find cheaper. You could probably find more expensive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, it, it, it a lot of it depends on who you, who you're hiring it to do. Yeah. I mean, who you're hiring it to do. Who you're hiring we to do it. Yeah, man, Jeb. It's yeah, you know, people put me on the spot, man. It'll be repeated like over and over again. Well, dude, you said no, I didn't. I corrected it. 
Uh, Ambrose is our biggest fan tonight. Uh, right. Wants to know, coolest guy, or I can't read clearly, but wants to know if there's anybody else in LA, uh, covers the LA market like us. I'm not familiar with anyone personally that just does like the LA market. Um, that's not like there's a couple of guys in that market, but they're all like doom and gloomers. Like, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time watching any of the content and therefore I don't. Um, so not really specific on, on anybody in that market that does YouTube. Um, but if I do, I will mention it here at a later time. Well, and don't forget Jeb's little link below. He can definitely connect you with someone out there, but yeah. as far as someone that YouTube's in LA, that is as cool or even near as cool as us. I, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> good, good stuff. Uh, let's see here. Uh, M Hewitt. If I, if I told 20 foot setback, if I, if I was told 20 foot setback, wouldn't stop me from putting in a pool by the sales rep six months ago. And now it stopped me from building past it. Can I cancel the contract and get my money back? Can you click on that one? This one here. Oh, sorry. I, I thought I did. Little... No, that's okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, we're talking no longer about real estate. We're starting to talk about pools and contracts and whatever else. I don't know the answer there. Um, you know, if your contract is changing, you know, because of something that you were told or whatever, and it's in the contract and that's no longer the case, I would say that you probably need to get an attorney involved. Um, yeah, they can handle that like. for you. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. Other than that, I got nothing for you. We are not allowed to give legal advice, unfortunately, but you probably should talk to an attorney if it's if if we're understanding this correctly. Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. So let's see what we've got. Um, you can see questions. Are you seeing anything? Uh, this you're not going to know this one, but in my market here, uh, I live in La Habra. The prices here are going for over a million or more. Are there over? Are they overpriced for the area? What does overpriced mean? Right. When we, we kind of had this discussion last night, what, what is yeah. what do you mean by overpriced? Is it our values higher than people want to see? Sure. But are they higher than people are paying? If the answer is no, then they're not overpriced. If the home is selling, uh, if homes are selling at those prices, then the market is telling you otherwise. Um, so it, it's. I, I see it as a as a black and white answer. I realize there's some gray in there. Um, it's not quite as easy to decipher, but, um, as long as homes are still selling and they're selling at those prices, then, then the market is telling you that they're not overpriced. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing to say, like homes are overvalued. Well, value is what buyers are willing to pay. So it's obviously not overvalued, but what I think what people are always getting at when they're saying that is, you know, what does the future hold is, are the prices going to start coming down and, you know, over the long term? No, absolutely. They're not going to come down 10 years from now. Those prices are going to be worth, a, you know, those homes are going to be worth a lot more money than they are today. Could they go down a little bit before they start to come back up? Absolutely. And, and Jeb and I don't know to answer that, which is why the best advice we can give, which is advice we've been given over and over and over and over again, is don't try and time the market. Just know that you're buying these assets over a long period of time. You're going to win. All day. All day. Um, so this one's a little bit difficult to answer, but we're going to see what we can do here. Uh, Samson says, I have a person I know that wants me to take over his home. He got via family um, hand down, I assume, has 30K mortgage and wants 15 to take over. Uh, I don't understand the 2-1 lock, blah, 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 two whatever. Bath, maybe? 
yeah, maybe two bedroom, one bath. Sounds like it's in Indian. I think, I don't know. What are the most important things I could should consider? So first off, I'm assuming he wants 30 on the mortgage plus an additional 15. So 45, because if you only give him 15, there's not enough to pay off the mortgage. Um, and that's clearly a red flag. Uh, so what I would tell you before doing any of this is get, you know, talk to a local agent there and just have a conversation and say, Hey, this is the case, you know, and have them walk you through it. Right. Um, I would still get inspections. I would still do some of these things. You want to make sure you're not getting a property that's, you know, has some major issue, um, or that the value is not there or whatever. So again, it's, I think you got to read a little bit deeper into this. I mean, it sounds like you're getting a good deal, but just make sure that's the case by doing it a little bit more homework. Um, and you can do that by talking to an agent locally, having that conversation with the agent's not going to, um, cost you, it shouldn't cost you anything. Um, and maybe in some cases, you know, there's going to have to be paperwork going back and forth and certain things filled out. Maybe you guys can come to an agreement and get a, an agent involved, give them something to, to facilitate the transaction and everybody wins. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's see if a tree on a property is messing up the property fence. Do you think I can get the seller to remove the tree? So I'm assuming you're buying a house staff and the seller is, I mean, the tree is pushing on the fence and you want that, um, removed. Listen, everything in a everything in a property is negotiable. Um, you want the dog, but you want the dog. Uh, I mean, literally, I'm, I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm saying ask for what you want to ask and see how the seller responds. Uh, and if the seller says no, you have an opportunity to, to, to re-ask. Again, if it's important to you, then ask for it. Um, you know, cutting down trees and that sort of thing, you know, depending on how big the tree is, there's expense involved in that. And some can be, you know, more costly than others. Uh, if it's a health and safety issue, it's 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 probably more, it, in my experience, health and safety issues get addressed more often than anything else, um, you know, versus something that's cosmetic or something that's maybe out of date where codes have changed. That stuff is a little bit different because the seller's like, well, hell, I've been living here for 20 years and it's never been a problem. I don't want to do that versus, hey, look, this is causing a bigger issue that could lead to something else you know, whatever. So just understand your place and, and try to negotiate it. What, what are your thoughts there, Dan? Yeah, totally. I mean, look, if you ask for them to do it, there's, there's three things that they could do. They could do it. They could give you some type of credit to supplement or they could say no, in which case you're just back where you started. Um, when I first started in real estate, I was a lot more reserved with my clients. No, we shouldn't ask for that. Well, we shouldn't ask for that. And part of it has to do with whatever type of market you're in. I think we're in a market now where you can ask for these things push that on your agent. Hopefully you have a good agent helping you and let them do the work of trying to negotiate it. it, it sure. Sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation, but that uncomfortable conversation might get you a credit or might get you that, that tree cut down, um, or might help you get something else that you're asking for. So it doesn't hurt the dog, it. the dog, the dog. Yeah. Skipping. <laughs> yeah, no. So again, I, you can, it never hurts to ask. I, I, the worst they can say is no. And, and like Dan said, you're back in the same position. Um, here's a good question. One I, one I like. Um, and then I have a question that you can pull up after this. All right. Awesome. Comment. Well, would you use luxury vinyl in your primary residence or does it lower your resale value? So here's the deal. I have luxury vinyl in my house now. And we could talk about why I installed that. So the flooring I have now was installed shit i've lost uh th 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 maybe th covid was was two years it's probably three four it's probably four years old at this point maybe five um the reason i went with it is because like we were just trying to decide between a real hardwood and that 
We didn't want tile um, like the, the the porcelain wood planks because it was too cold. Uh, I have young kids um, at the time. They were younger than they are now, but now they're 10, 8, and 4. They wrestle. I wrestle them. Um, <laughs> you know, we're all over the floor. It's hard, right? You hit that stuff, it, it's going to make a dent. Um, and so, therefore, that kind of ruled that out. Uh, you know, the cold to the touch and all of that stuff when walking around all the time, not ideal. And it can um, break. Yeah, the second thing was hardwood. I was I was battling my wife against hardwood. Uh, and I I swore that I could tell the difference between hardwood flooring and luxury vinyl. Um, and so the reason I wanted hardwood is because I just I thought I liked the way that it looked better. Um, and she was kind of against it, saying, listen, the kids are gonna scratch it, you know, they're riding skateboards in the house and doing crazy their kids are just gonna whatever. And I'm whatever, you know, so one day she brings home two samples. It's on a board, um, you know, and, and I, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she did first. She laid it. It was on a board and she She's laid it down I like this. and, and she said, which one do you like? And I said, well, I like them both. And she said, well, you know, walk on them, which one, blah, blah, blah. And so I stepped on this one. I was like, I like this one. She's like, that's luxury vinyl. It's LVP. And I was like, well, huh, interesting. So what she then went and did was bought a box of it from a store uh, and laid it out on the floor. We just put it together, that box on the floor right there and, and showed what it would look like and walked on it right there. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm willing, you know, I'll do it and we'll do it. And it was, hell, it was a third the cost of the hardwood was. And it, it works. It, it Does it hurt your resale? No. I mean, it, maybe if you're, you've got a $10 million house, multi-million dollar house. Yes. Yeah. That that's going to hurt you, but the majority of people out there aren't living um, in those homes, and it's not going to affect your resale. Uh, but what I mean, if you go really cheap on it, maybe. Yeah. But the stuff out now has distress in it. Um, it looks good. The colors are good. You know, it's um, it's waterproof. I mean, that was another thing that we the reason we chose it because you know kids running around bare feet, wet, you know, whatever. It's just it's easy to clean. So. Yeah, luxury vinyl all the way. My parents have a home. It's about 10 years old. And five years in, it had this really nice, like, red hardwood floor. And about five years in, it got so scratched up. They were so tired of it that they ripped that out to put luxury vinyl in. And the luxury vinyl looks better. But yeah. the problem is, here's the other thing that you have to consider as well. When you're buying wood, you know, wood can expand and contract. So there's all these challenges that you get. A lot of times, they're just going to glue it down to the floor, which makes it damn near impossible to, to remove. I mean, the, the removal of their hardwood before they was like, I think, over a full week. And their, their place is only like 1,300 square feet and it, no stairs or anything like that because you have to cut it into these little squares. And then you have, inch, like, yeah. Yeah, you have to like yeah. scrape them off one in a freaking time. So you also have to consider that, too. If you're going to live in this house for a long period of time and you ever need to replace it, it's a huge pain in can I no, it really is. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, and that's the thing is like, you know, my buddy owns a flooring company and he he's the one that ended up saying like, dude, go with the LVP. Um, and he was like, honestly, like five years in, the kids scratch it up, whatever. Because it does scratch. People say it doesn't scratch. It scratches, right? It, I'll tell you it scratches. Um, but you could replace it, right? And you're yeah. still less expensive than you were had you done the hardwood initially um, and you've got a whole new flooring a couple years later. So yep. there you go. Uh, so you had, um, oh, yeah, a, comment. Yeah, you had a really good comment at six fifteen from Nightbot. I think you should probably pull uh, uh, Nightbot. There we go. Nightbot. Do you use Nightbot? No. 
Yeah, so Nightbot's free. It's just a service out there, and you can type whatever you want in it, um, and it shows up. Oh, so that's not an actual person? No. So no. you put that in there? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it comes on. I, like I, I think it's set every 15 minutes. Um, coming, yeah. I thought you just had like a really No, cool... so like nightbot.tv <laughs> or nightbot.ai or nightbot.something. Go in there. It gives you analytics on your channel and all that stuff, too. It's good stuff. Okay, so I'm yeah, going to sign up for that, and I'm going to go to Mortgage News Daily. Yeah, more, uh, dude, if you're if you're in the in our space, Mortgage News Daily is is a really good site. Not only because they um they they give their own commentary on rates and all of that, but they like it's it's like old school um uh like stack type uh content where they they literally the bottom of their channel is is news all across the industry. So if you want cool. not, something that's happening in the market, there's an article they show it. Um, so it's it's good stuff. Awesome. All right, uh, Ty, Ty Youngblood says, hit the like button, people. It helps get the <laughs> word out. Likes up. Ty, dude. Ty bot coming in clutch. Ty, Ty Youngblood that's got a hell of a uh, a little avatar thing there, uh, the logo. Yeah. Do we think Ty Youngblood's a, a YouTuber? Just Or just somebody that just has a really good uh, signature and, and wanted to put it on their thumbnail? Yeah, maybe he's asking for people to hit the like button on his channel. Hey, listen, whatever, man, whatever. <laughs> we, we promote it all here. Someone go uh, check it out. Let us know what it is. All right. Uh, Ambrose, do all lenders offer FHA loans? No, they do not. Um, many banks don't do them. Um, talk to a broker, a broker. That link that you see scrolling there that I forgot to take off, that will get you connected to a broker. Uh, those brokers do FHA loans. Um, yeah, so not all lenders do them. You guys, we've run through questions here, so I don't know what to do. Dan, um, for those of you watching, don't know who Dan is. Dan, Dan is a YouTuber in San Diego. See that in San Diego in the background there. Got a really cool setup, much better than mine. This is very plain. There's there's no color here. You know, you yours know, has come a long way too, though. We just keep getting a little bit better, a little bit better each time. The window behind me really screws things up just because uh, I can't I can't block it and the light that comes in from it all the time kind of messes with the light in here. Um, so I, you know lighting is the nemesis. Now it really, it's, I mean, my lighting's never great. Your lighting's yeah. pretty good, but nevertheless, I digress again. Um, <laughs> I've done a lot of that this show. It's okay. And Dan just gave us two, almost two hours of his time. People hit the thumbs up. 110 likes. You guys are slacking, man. There's 160, 60 people here. And I know all of you weren't here the whole time. Hit the thumbs down too. If you don't like us. I'm surprised that we haven't works. got more market questions. Like, what is going on with the market right now? I, I know this is this is actually pretty so weird. Much. These people are they they don't trust us. No one has told us the market's going to crash. Well, I got I saw one that was like almost the market's almost going to crash. Oh, we got to go back and we love those. We love <laughs> we love talking about those. Uh, is it a good idea to talk to a lender before six months of purchasing a home and have an idea of payments and affordability? Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Um, you know, if you're considering buying a house, even if it's months away, talk to a lender, six months, eight months, it doesn't matter. And, and you might have reservations about running credit and all of that. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, if you can give them your monthly debts, maybe, you know, your credit scores, it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate, but at least they can kind of lead you and say, listen, based on where you are now, you know, an idea of purchase price, where you want to be or monthly payment, this is where you should be. And you can, Figure out, okay, am I in the right position to do this or do I need to save more money or do you need to work on this or that or what have you? 
um, it just puts you in a better position to know where you're going to be. And lenders, I mean, they're they're most of them are willing to have those conversations because the good, you know, ones it's are. yeah, it's it's it's, it's business for them later on, right? Mm-hmm. So that's again an opportunity um, for for both of you, the lender and uh, the uh, you as a as a potential buyer to know where you stand. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence just says, what's going on with the market, Dan? <laughs> there we go. Jeez. I thought that's what I was coming on here for. You asked me all the other crazy questions, you guys. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, Dan, there you go. Um, let's see here. So no, let's, let's, let's just say last, let's kind of put you on the spot here. Last, uh, 30 days markets. Yes. I mean, here, let me, let me ask you a better question. Are you seeing any huge price declines? Are you seeing any deals on property? Because I think that's really what people want to know. Okay. So, and yeah, in, uh, I could start this by saying, you know, I had a consultation with someone who found me on YouTube and, and reached out and I, we had a consultation yesterday and I could just see it in their faces during this consultation that they just were convinced that home prices were just going to go like this and they were just going to swoop in. Oh yeah. Get this three bedroom, uh, 2,800 square foot home, beautifully refurnished, uh, with a pool over by the water for a million dollars. And I could just see just slowly the life being sucked out of them as we're, as we're talking about what's going on. So can you find deals in this market? Yes. I just had clients that got a a home for like, this home was for sale for $700,000 comparable properties. I mean, not even comparable properties. This is, this is a town home. So there are exact model matches that sold two months prior for 715 we got our offer accepted 640 Fantastic. can you find deals absolutely you can find deals you aren't going to get that on everyone that's not what the entire market is doing so i think what we saw over the last i should really go back and look and see like exactly the time frame and i'd be curious how much this um you're you're experiencing in orange county as well but somewhere around like two and a half three months ago the buyers just said oh let's just hold off a second yep. and let's just see what's happening. Everyone's talking about a recession. Um, I still can afford buying a home, but like it's getting a little bit tight and I just want to wait and see what happens because we were in the toughest market for buyers basically ever here in San Diego at the beginning of this year. And that's not an exaggeration. It was absolutely crazy. And so, and then at the same time, a lot of sellers were trying to hit the market at the very beginning of summer and thinking, all right, this is the top of the market. We need to put our home on right now and capture the top of the market. So it just created this really unique scenario where there weren't a lot of active buyers and there were a a lot more sellers out there. And so because the market shifted so quickly, um, you know, if you find the right seller that's motivated and is overreacting to the market, then they might accept an offer that is well below what they should be accepting it at because, oh my gosh, you had to wait two weeks or three weeks to get a good offer. in. now what we're seeing for me, it's been about three weeks is it's starting to neutralize. The sellers are starting to understand, okay, we don't have to be terrified that, that prices aren't gonna continue plummeting. Uh, buyers are starting to realize that, um, okay, it's it's just getting back a little bit more toward a, towards a neutral market, as opposed to, we're not getting to a buyer's market. It's just, there were sellers that were overreacting and sellers that were overpricing homes. So as a buyer, you have a lot more opportunity for inventory right now than you did anytime pretty much the last two years. Um, you might be able to find some deals out there, but we're not talking, you know, 10, 20, 30% under asking in, in majority of scenarios, but you might be able to get it a little bit under asking. You might get terms and conditions that are better for you. You're probably not going to have to waive 
any contingencies in order to get that property. So you have a lot more opportunities as a buyer. It's so easy to forget how the market was a couple of months ago for people that have been sitting here waiting. Like they, they just don't realize how tough it was in February, March, and April to get offers accepted. I, Jeff, I'm really good at getting offers accepted. But I just felt like back to back to back to back, we were not getting offers accepted because there were 20, 30, 40 offers on these homes that were just outrageous. No, it was tough. Um, I'm having, I'm actually struggling at the moment getting offers accepted, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and it's, it's partly due to, you know, where some of these clients are with regards to prices and being maxed out and not really being able to go to certain areas. But yeah, it's, it's a changing market. Um, I, I haven't seen the deals yet um, out there. Um, we'll see if they come. Um, I'm not a, a huge believer that we're going to see a lot of opportunity. Yeah, there will be some. You'll be able to find, you know, here and there those those opportunities, but it's not going to be, um, you know, the the common um, thing in the market at the moment. Um, and and I don't know that when it is actually. So it'll be interesting, nevertheless. So um, something I I saw I was scrolling up here a moment ago. Uh, Dan, is earlier you commented on Nightbot. Well, one of the things Nightbot does in there um, is you can put in like emojis and stuff. Like if they're if somebody comes in with a bunch of emojis, like they'll stop. So David Yang, sometimes you scare. I mean, like they they come up with this this language <laughs> yourself. It's hilarious, and then people like start to get defensive about Nightbot because they also think that Nightbot's real. Like, dude, I was just I you know it. I was just sitting an emoji. You know, like back off. Um, anyhow. Uh, Usama gave us a $2 super chat and tell us that the average home um, in the U.S. is 8.2 times the salary now. That's unsustainable. So maybe in some markets that's the case. Um, but for the majority out there, I don't know that that's um, going to be the the factor that, that brings prices in line at the moment. Wages are actually increasing, uh, believe it or not. Uh, but a lot of it's getting eaten by inflation at the moment. So uh, the next couple of years will be interesting, nonetheless. Here's the other thing that I think you brought up uh, yesterday, Jeb, is that you know the unfortunate truth is that there's there's more and more of a gap between lower and and upper class as far as what people are making, and majority of people that are coming to us, coming to me, and wanting to buy a house. Um, they don't just have a salary. They have some equity from another property they sold, or they have investments, or they have yep. um, you know, money from their family, or or whatever it is. That's the unfortunate truth. Is you know, if you're just um, a, a blue collar worker, or if you have a, you know an, a, an average job here in San Diego, and you want to be able to save up to purchase your first home, it's not going to be easy. And you're probably going to have to start with an attached property, a townhome, a condo, or something like that in order to get your foot in the door, gain some equity, and then have an opportunity to retch up to the next property after that at you know, some period of time. I like it. That is sound advice, nonetheless. Um, so we're going to end up here, finish it up in just a second here. Um, let's see here. So Ambrose, uh, I think, is probably our most our biggest commenter tonight. So thank Appreciate you for being you, here. Uh, I don't know if I missed it at the beginning of the live, but could you uh, both give a quick inventory update in your market? So uh, Orange County currently sits at 4,054 properties as me coming on the show. Uh, some context, this time last year, we were sitting at about 2,500 homes. So we have uh, 35 or so percent less homes today than we did last year. Uh, or I'm sorry, 35% more homes than we did last year. Uh, and the, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? What was I going to say? Oh, um, 
2017 to 2019 average, which is important, right? Because that was a time in the market where, you know, buyers and sellers kind of on equal playing field, if you will, um, still kind of a slight seller's market, but things were selling. Um, this time we, we'd have about 6,700 homes on the market. So considerably more than we have at the moment. Um, I think uh, where you are, Dan's probably similar. Yeah, it's very similar. So in January of this year, I think we had like, uh, we were just around 1,200 homes available in a county of 3.35 million people. Yep. We, had not, we had 954. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's, it's so like, to go back and think of that, it's just crazy. And by all my estimations of all the data that I've, that I've pulled in and analyzed is we need somewhere between um, 10 and 16,000 homes to have like a true neutral market over an extended period of time here in San Diego County. Right now, we're, we're uh, right around where you guys are. So we are at, um, oh, I just missed this, uh, 4,800 homes. So we're almost oh, at 5,000 okay. homes. It's only increased 3% in the last month. So that increase is starting to level off and we're seeing uh, the seasonality is starting to kick in. So right now, uh, every year at near the end of summer, um, inventory starts to decline as, it, as we get into the winter months because there's fewer people wanting to move, fewer people selling, fewer people buying. And that's we're starting to see we're hitting the, the top of that. And right. if you look at it against other years, it's just going to start, start coming no. down. Good stuff. Uh, Matty, $10 Super Chat. Thanks for a great nice. show. Appreciate you, Matt. Um, show up every week. Um, you know, put in, put in your two cents and uh, give support. And I appreciate that. Uh, Matt also said that he – uh, traveled from Baltimore to La Mesa around 2000 following two other cars. So similar, similar trek there. Mine was 2002, but you know, um, you were, you were two years ahead of the trend. You, you're the trendsetter, my friend. Uh, but here we are been almost two hours in. I want to thank you guys for being here for the support. Um, Dan, you know, your channel. So Dan, again, for those of you who haven't been here the whole time, Channels about San Diego real estate. It's not only about real estate. I mean, really some local spots in San Diego really kind of takes you on the deep dive of uh, different neighborhoods, different everything in San Diego. So check out his channel. Uh, Dan Parker, uh, Living in San Diego, I think is the channel. His his uh, Instagram handle is there just below his name. You can check him out that way. Um, I will re-edit uh, the description in this. Put your contact information in there because uh, it was kind of last minute and put you in there if people want to find you. Uh, but I appreciate you being here, dude. I uh, appreciate, you know, um, all of you guys watching us. Hit the thumbs up if you liked it. Leave us a comment. Uh, subscribe to the channel. All of that good stuff. Dan, parting words? Parting words. I just appreciate you, man. And I appreciate uh, Maddie because thanks to Maddie, uh, when we finally go play golf, first first round's on you. <laughs> that Dude, that doesn't – it's inflation. That doesn't get around. <laughs> I'll buy you a cocktail napkin with that tin box. Touche. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> no, nah, fair enough. I, I will. I will definitely do it. But uh, guys, thanks again for the support. Uh, this will be on the Educated Homebuyer podcast on Friday to listen to it once again. If you didn't hear it all, you can go back and listen to it or watch the video. But until then, we appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening to the Educated Homebuyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.